Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. So this is Encounter Part 2, and we're going to Matthew chapter 6. I'll use one of the scriptures I used last week uh, to give, set some context for the series. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, Matthew is talking about what Jesus said in regards to prayer. And he says this, he says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. And just be there. Just be with him as simply and as honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. I love this scripture. I'm loving it more and more as we just keep on reading it. It, it, This this is like a three-step process to prayer. Find a place, any place, just find a place where you can focus. Be with God. Don't have to put on for him. Don't have to be perfect. Don't have to be righteous. Just be with him, simply and humbly. When you do that, it says this is the after effect. Your perspective will begin to shift from you to him, and then you'll begin to sense his grace. Isn't that awesome? It's really God's heart for him to encounter you. Not just in church, not just in a service, but on a day-to-day basis that you have relationship with God that is full of God encounters. We, we, we think that a God encounter usually is something where God interrupts us. But I want you to know a God encounter can happen anytime, anyplace, anywhere, and God's desire is to meet with us. God's desire is to walk through life not just as a figure, but in relationship as a friend. And I, I want to go to the book of John, John chapter 4. It's a familiar story. Uh, it's the story of the Samaritan woman, and uh, it, John is in your New Testament. If you, if you don't know, John chapter 4, uh, ver- we'll start in, in verse 4, and we're going to use this story as a loose kind of backdrop or context uh, for our message today. Verse 4, it says, now he had to go, Jesus had to go through Samaria. I love this because it was a must. It was it, like he had to do it. It wasn't just like, ah, we might, let's go, maybe. No, he had to. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of the ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? One of the most valuable questions you can ever ask of God is where can I get this living water? Where, where, where can I get what you have? Where can I get this? And he says this, are you greater than our, or she says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. The title of the message is Don't Be Thirsty. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. All the millennials understood. Everyone else is like, right. Um, 
I, I, I want to I talk about the story of the Samaritan woman as, as our backdrop uh, for really a deeper conversation on how we can encounter God in a deeper level. And it, and, and it really messes with some of our uh, ideology about desires, about what we desire, what we need, how we get those desires met, how we get those desires fulfilled. Because what Jesus says to this woman is he's saying, what you're doing is good, but I've got something better. He says, that's great that you've been doing to come and draw on this water, but I have living water. I got a water that doesn't have an expiration date. I have water that doesn't run dry. I have a water that you don't have to come back every day for. I've got some real stuff. I got some better stuff. I'm going to tell you this. John chapter 10, verse 10 says that God's desire, Jesus says, is to give us a life and life more abundantly. Not just to get through it life, not just to get by it life, but life and that abundant life. It was, it was years ago, uh, I went to Thailand, and Jamie, my wife, was a, a missionary in Thailand for two years uh, before we got married, and um, seeing her on the mission field kind of like sealed the deal for me. She was just like, she's just hardcore, like rode motorcycle, she's speaking Thai, eating street food, and I'm like, I would never eat that, ever. Like, I was the guy that would like act like I ate it, so no one would get mad. You know, she's just like eating anything, doesn't get sick, she's just like hardcore. I'm like, we, we need to make this happen. Like, this is... This is very important. And uh, I remember we took the team and we went shopping at like one of the markets in, in, in Thailand. And, and um, it's, it's incredible. I mean, they have every brand you can imagine just right there on the street. I mean, like Louis Vuitton and Coach and Versace. And, I mean, just everything right there, right, right there. And, and uh, I'm like, man, these are great bargains. I mean, you can get these bags. It's incredible. And um, I, I found these Rolexes. I mean, these Rolexes, you, you would not believe these things. I mean, they're cheap. And um, I'm like, man, I, I can't afford not to buy one of these. And so, you know, I always thought my arm deserved a Rolex. And uh, so I was there, and I'm like, man, I got, I got to get this Rolex. And I, I think it was like $9. And, um, but I'm, I was a shrewd businessman. I talked him down to 7 in our selfish American ways. And looking back, I'm like, for real? He asked for nine. Get the guy $9. I'm like, oh, seven. No, it's not, not seven fifty. I want $7. And it's, uh, so I got this Rolex, and, and I went home, and my little town in Washington, my dad, who's a pastor, and um, I'm rocking my Rolex. I love it. And, um, and, and for the first couple of weeks, is incredible. Because, like, you know, it just looked so nice. And, uh, but about week two, the, some of the hands fell off. And uh, one of the R's kind of like tilted a little bit. Um, it was more like a snow globe than a watch at that point because I just have to like shake it to, you know, anyways. Uh, it, it wasn't the real thing. And so uh, we went back another year and, and, and I got another one, a little more expensive model. It was like $10 or it was like $12, I think it was. I don't know. And so uh, just a little more expensive. It lasted about three weeks. And so uh, when we came back from the mission trip, it was like, it was, it was just the most crazy thing you ever saw because you'd have like 15-year-old girls like running around with like all of this Louis Vuitton luggage. And um, people were like, these kids came back from this mission trip. It was fake, okay? It was, it was fake. It's, um, it, it was replicas. And some of it's good replicas. Like you wouldn't even know that it's not the real thing, but, but it's not. And that's, that's it. It's, it's just not. Did you know anything real good quality, luxury brands that don't go on sale? So this is not something you can barter with. I'm trying to get the price. It wasn't real. It was a replica. It was a counterfeit. It was, it was replicating that which was real. I'm going to tell you this today when we talk about desires is that the enemy in our culture, in our world, has replicated what God wants to give us in authenticity. 
The things that God has for us, the thing that God gives us, the desires that God bursts in our heart, God wants to give us those things, but the enemy, our world, our culture has replicated those things in different ways. And I'm gonna tell you, the water that the world has to offer is disappointing water. It's disappointing water. It'll satisfy for a moment, but it won't last. It'll satisfy you for a semester, but it won't last. It'll satisfy you for that relationship, but it won't last. The water of the world, it looks tantalizing. It looks exciting. You think that you need it, but that water has no shelf life. I want to tell you something about the, the, the original. Not, 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 not the replica, the real thing. It has longevity. It has longevity. You can tell something's authentic a lot of times by the, by the longevity in the product. It lasts. It stands the test of time. I'm going to tell you this. What Jesus was saying to this woman was I've got something that'll last. You are wearing yourself out, running home, running back, getting water, running home, running back to the well, getting water. He says, I have a different type of water. I've got living water. And if you have this living water, you will never thirst again. We know from the conversation, Jesus was talking spiritually, not naturally. He wasn't saying that you would never have to drink again. And uh, you'd never have to eat again. Uh, it, I, I'd like that anointing for 21 days. It's like, thank you, Lord. I'm not even hungry. For, for real, like this morning, I, 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 was, I was praying for y'all. I was in my office. I was praying. And it's like day 10 of the fast. I'm focused, locked in. And I'm praying. I started praying. God, fill the hungry today. God, fill the hungry today. And I'm like, wait a sec. Is that God praying through me or is that like my stomach <laughs> praying through me? I'm, I'm praying for God to fill the hungry. And anyways, you know, it's like um, day 10. Yeah. I, I, I want you to know this. God's desire for you is not just to encounter you, but also to fulfill you. And the conversation that Jesus is having is, rec is, is a conversation with this woman that says that he is everything that she needs. The world solution to humanity's problems are temporary fixes to an ongoing need. The, the world will try to fix you up, try to medicate you, try to put a patch on it, try to give you encouragement, try to get you through another day, but I'm going to tell you, it does not last. The fulfillment that comes from God is the only fulfillment that will actually last. All the other things God uses, we believe in all the other things. We believe in bridges. We believe in help. We believe in counseling. We believe in all of those things. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't substitute God's power. It doesn't substitute God's ability, God's willingness, God's desire to set us free. I'm going to tell you, the, the desires, even good desires you have in your heart, if they're not met by God, then they have an expiration date. It will be disappointing. It will be disappointing water. And in this story, it says that, that in verse 4, it says Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had, he had, he had to go. If you don't know this, in, in, in those days, Jewish people would avoid Samaria at all costs. They would literally put miles on their journey to go around Samaria instead of to go through it. Because the Jewish people and the Samaritan people were at such odds, there was such uh, racial division and bigotry that they, and prejudice that they would go around Samaria instead of going through it. And Jesus seems to be unfazed by what the Jewish world is doing. And he marches right through Samaria, and he says he has to. I imagine Peter is probably like, hey, Jesus, don't know if you checked the GPS lately, but you just stepped into Samaria. It would be Peter that would say that. And, and Jesus is, this is like, a, I don't know if this is true, okay, this is my own imagination. I'd like to imagine that Jesus doesn't even respond to Peter. 
He just keeps on walking like, here he goes again. Because Peter's always sounding off, saying things that he shouldn't say. But Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had to get to this well, and there's a reason that he had to get to the well. He had to get to the well not because he was actually thirsty, although he was. He had to get to the well because this woman was going to the well. And I'll tell you where you can always find Jesus. You can always find Jesus at the intersection of desire. He's always found at the intersection of desire. You know, I think a lot of us, we think Jesus is found in the church. That's where you find him, at the church. Hopefully he's here, but that's not the place you find him. Well, Jesus is found in a devotional. Hopefully that helps you, but that's not where he's found. Jesus is found in a fast. Well, I hope that helps you find him, but that's not where he's found. Jesus is found at the place of desire. At the, at the intersection of desire. And not even just good desire, not even just bad desire, at desire. So this woman desires water. She goes to the well. Where is Jesus sitting? Right at the well. The Bible actually described Jesus as a well. Bishop T.D. Jakes, he says, so you have the spiritual well and the natural well sitting side by side. And Jesus is offering her alternative. You can draw from that as natural from what is natural, or you can draw from what is spiritual. You can draw from me the living water, or you can draw from the natural water. I'll tell you, many of us, we draw from natural wells, natural places that we get our sustenance and we survive, even Christians. Christians, sometimes Christians, maybe not this church, but other churches, um, Christians are the worst. Because we put on the show, and we got the pose, and, and we look good, and we are here, but we still draw our resources, our satisfaction, our peace, our, 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 our joy. We still draw it in a natural way. But Jesus came. His intersection of desire with the woman was to show her that there was a better way, that he had something for her. For most of us, we want God more than we think we do, but we fulfilled those desires with other things. It's not that we don't want God. It is that there is a disconnect in our desire between what we know intellectually and what we do emotionally. You ever, you ever felt this, this, this conflict before? Like most of us, we know the right decision. If right now you and I were to talk, or maybe you talk with a friend who's made a lot of bad decisions, probably you know the right decisions, right? When it comes to you, it's so interesting because the conflict of desire is the disconnect between what I know intellectually and what I do emotionally. Paul even struggled with this. He said, the very things I want to do, I don't do, and the very things I don't want to do, I do. Paul was an intellectual. Paul was wise. Paul was educated, but yet he still struggled with the conflict of desire. That's what we, that's what we struggle with even as a culture is, is, is that everybody has desires. And, and most of us, we don't talk about desires. We, we talk about actions. Like, we, we don't want to, like, get into our actual desire. We judge people that act out on their bad desires. But nobody wants to talk about if they actually have those desires. Because surely we don't. I mean, bless God. Like, I, whew, can't even, I've never even thought about that. I, I, I'm going to tell you this, is that most of us, we have all kinds of evil desires. And when God's dealing with us, it is not about just what happens out of action. And Jesus always went to matters of the heart. Jesus always fast-forwarded the process to get to the heart of what was really going on. I love Jesus because Jesus was not threatened. 
by what was popular politically. Jesus was not threatened by what was popular culturally. In fact, when he chose to go into Samaria, we talked about this, is that, that Jewish people would not even go into Samaria. Not only that, Jewish men would not speak to women. Even if Jewish men were in public, they wouldn't even speak in conversation to their wives or to their daughters. That's how, that's, that's how we read it now, and it's like, so Jesus talked to the woman at the well. What's the big deal? No, it's a massive deal. When the disciples walked up on Jesus talking with the woman at the well, they were like, oh, oh, uh, 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 probably Peter, like, yo, Jesus, she's a woman. You know, this is probably, probably Peter. Jesus is like, I know. But, but, but Jesus didn't care that he wasn't supposed to be in Samaria. It's religion that keeps us out of those places. He did not care that he was not supposed to talk to a woman. It's religion that keeps us out of those places because I think that most of us believe that the people that God encounters are the educated, are the leaders, are the anointed, are the ones with a good pedigree, with initials after their name. They've been to Bible school. They've been to cemetery or seminary, however you call it. And they, they, they've been there. But it's not that. The people that God calls, the people that God encounters, the people that God meets with are at the intersection of desire. He does not look for pedigree. He looks for hunger. He looks for thirsty people. He looks for a people that have a need. And if people need him, he shows up for them. So he bypassed synagogues and he bypassed temples and he bypassed theological leaders, and he bypassed Pharisees and Sadducees, and he bypassed the educated, learned people of that day to get to a, a well. And in one conversation, Jesus broke through racial bigotry and sexism. In, in one conversation, he said, no, 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 this, is, this should not be. It's like... For us, we would like contemplate, we'd think about it, we have conversations about it, we tweet about it, we get on Facebook and discuss it. And, and, and Jesus is like, Oh, yeah, I'm going to Samaria. I have to. Somebody needs me there. I don't care what you think, I don't care what you believe about it, I have to go. She needs me. She has a need because God is drawn to need. God doesn't see your past. God doesn't see what you've done or what you haven't done. God doesn't see your color, your social status. God doesn't see your language or your origin. God doesn't, God doesn't see any of that. He sees need. And he's drawn to need. We've taught in the past, in past generations, you've got to be a certain thing, and then God will do this, and you're called if you're this. And no, no, he just responds to need. He just responds to people who need him. James chapter 1, verse 13, it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own personal, mine, by my own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Desires have a way of tripping us up. Because it's the things that we want and the things that we think that we need. And it says this is how this, this is what happens with this desire, is that desire is conceived. You know what we like to deal with? We like to deal with the fruit. And we want to avoid the root. Like I said, Jesus was always after matters of the heart because he wasn't after, the, the action has to come from somewhere. So, so, so we want to spend all our attention on what we're doing but Jesus goes deeper, and he wants to know what we're desiring. 
and where we are getting those desires filled. I want to talk just for a couple minutes about desire, about, about what it is and, and, and how, it's, how it's formed in our life. And let me give you this. Desires are formed by where I go to fulfill them. Desires are formed, they're shaped by where I go to fulfill them. For instance, if you run to a certain thing to fulfill a desire originally, then it begins to form an appetite. Let, let, me, let me say it this way. Appetite is formed by what I indulge in. My, my appetite is formed by what I indulge in. And desires are formed by where I go to fulfill them. So for instance, if, if you're thirsty, thirsty is the need. Like you need water. You need water. If that is met by a, by a beverage and now, now that, that need is met, you will begin to think that you need that beverage because you were thirsty. It is the, des the original desire is now twisted based on how you fulfilled it. Let me just break it down further. If, if you desired peace, right? You desired peace and you met that need, you fulfilled that need, maybe when you're young, middle school, whatever, by smoking weed. And that's how you got your peace. Well, now you have a desire to, man, it got quiet in here, holy, is this Colorado? It, I'm joking. It, if that's how I got my peace, my desires are now formed around how it was fulfilled. Does it make sense? I form it, but it's not the original problem. It is now a, an appetite for the way that I fulfilled it. This is how desires get out of control because we temporary fulfill them. We temporary help them. And that temporary fulfillment now becomes the object of desire because it alleviated the pain that was caused by us needing peace. Desires are formed by the way that we fulfill them. Desires are established by what I feed and what I starve. Desires are established by what I feed and what I starve. We have bought into the cultural lie that I am who I am and I want what I want. But we establish our, our appetite, our desires by what we feed and what I starve. Whatever you feed, strengthens. Whatever you starve, weakens. I'm not saying you're never going to have a bad desire, you're never going to have an evil desire, but what you have and what you feed begins to grow, and it grows in power, and it grows in strength, it begins to take over, because if you feed it, it will grow. I mean, we're on this fast right now, and probably some of you are hungry right now, and, and if you went home tonight, and you got on Instagram, and you searched, like, the most amazing meals in history, <laughs> right, and then you scrolled, Scrolled, love, 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 scrolled, subscribe, follow, love, but you didn't eat it, you'd still be fasting. But you would have also cultivated a greater desire for. Right? This is what people do in their own lives. I've seen people do this in really serious situations, in very trivial situations. Seen people in marriage relationships that always are looking but never acting. But I never acted. Yeah, but you cultivated desire. Man, it's just really quiet in here today. It's like, let's change subjects. Um, because we have trained ourselves to judge action. 
but we don't understand that, 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 that the root of action is desire. I have to deal with the desire. I have to deal with what's in my heart. I have to deal in the depth of who I am. We can do all we want to try to, try to control ourselves. But even Paul, like we mentioned, the very things he wanted to do, he didn't do. Because he had to learn how to discipline his self. He said, I beat my body and I make it my slave. I've crucified my flesh. I've crucified myself. I'm laying it down. Because the desires that you feed will become so strong that you will not be able to stop them but the desires that you starve will become so weak that you can overpower them and it works with God it works with it works with any situation if you starve it it will begin to get weaker I'm not saying it'll go all the way away but it will weaken its grip on you our spiritual lives were designed to empower our natural lives our spiritual lives were designed to empower our natural, which means this, that when we're struggling with desire of feeding and starving, my spiritual life is not supposed to be separate from my natural life. My spiritual life is to actually meant to empower my natural life. So what God does in me on a Sunday is not just for Sunday. What God does for me on a 21-day fast is not just for the fast. What God does in me, for me in a moment is not just for the moment. It is supposed to infiltrate and empower my natural living. This is how Jesus walked the face of the planet. He was a man. The Bible says he grew tired and he sat down at the well, which means he was, he was a man. He was human. But he also, the Bible says, by his reverent submission was heard by the Father and he only did what the Father asked him to do. So he was connected to the Father. He had a spiritual connection in a natural world. His spiritual life empowered his natural life to live and to be without sin. The, the, the third point that I have is, is, I almost deleted last night. I was talking with Jamie because at the risk of it sounding so cliche, but I could not get away from the power of the meaning Desires are only truly fulfilled when they are fulfilled in Jesus. Some of you are like, well, man, I could have preached that. I mean, that's, that's like Christianity 101, that our desires can be fulfilled by Jesus. Like, I got it. Like, I understand. Here's the problem with other churches um, is, is that we say it, but we don't believe it. We don't believe it. Do you know how I know we don't believe it? It's because when we go to God, it's only after we've tried this and this and this and this and that and this and this and that homemade recipe and this naturopathic recipe and then this prescription and this. Nothing's worked. God! Right? I'm not knocking any of that. I'm just knocking the priority of it. I, I, I'm not anti what you're doing. I'm anti the order. Because we go to God as a last resort. And he is the fulfiller of every desire of your heart. If you need peace, it is found in him. If you need hope, it's found in him. If you need provision, protection, wisdom, it's found in him. But for many of us, it's, it's okay, I need some wisdom. I'm going to Google this. I'm going to study this. I'm going to take this class. And man, this is not working. God? I need provision. I gotta work harder, work more hours. I gotta get this raise. I gotta move this around. I gotta sell this. I gotta do that. It's not working. God, right? But what he, this, what, what his conversation with the Samaritan woman symbolized is that he said, I, I want you to actually draw from a different well. 
this is what you're coming to. Every day you're drawing. Every day you're drawing. I want you to recognize that there's a spiritual draw. That you can draw whatever you need. If you need something, that you can, you can pull it from me. You can draw it from me. I'm the living water. I'm a life and life more abundantly. I am your rock. I'm your shield. I'm your protection. I am I, everything you need. I am. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Another version says, for life and for godliness. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, through these, his glory and goodness, he's given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. The divine nature is the supernatural part of God. That we get to participate in his supernatural power. Having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. This scripture is saying that God has given us everything, everything we need for life and for godliness. Well, everything as long as I have the right job and the right income and the right marriage and the right, no, no, everything. Everything is found in him. Every desire of our heart is meant to be fulfilled by God. This preaches better than it lives. Because we're all amen and on Sunday morning, but Sunday night when you lay down in your bed and anxiety hits you or fear hits you or whatever, this is, this is where we have to apply it. Not here when we're shouting and jumping and screaming and yeah, we believe it. No, when we go home, that is the application moment where it says, okay, God, I feel what I've always felt, but I'm going to try to draw from a well I've never drawn from. I need you. I need you. I need you. I need strength. I, I, was, I, I was actually listening to a message this week by a guy that was doing an extended fast, just liquids. And uh, like, like, I mean, hardcore, just water for multiple days. And uh, this guy's just fasting. He's seeking God. And somebody asked him, they said, how are you still doing what you're doing while you're on this fast? And he goes, it's just like matter of fact. He's like, well, it's easy. I just pull my strength from God. It's like, oh. I might be fasting wrong. Uh, It was just matter of fact for him. It was so connected, so clear, so sure. Well, it's obvious. If I don't have strength from my food, I was pulled strength from God. Do you know what Jesus actually said? He said, my food is to do the will of my Father. That's a goal. That's a goal. I'm not standing up here and saying that doing the will of my father is food because after I get done preaching, I want to eat. I'll tell you that right now. But that's, that's what Jesus says. He says, that is, that is my strength. That is my sustenance to do it. I pull what I need from him. It's interesting, this story, Jesus and her are having this conversation. And, and I love this story and I love the conversation because this woman was not living right. In, in her world standards, the, the woman was not living right. She'd had like five husbands. She was living with the guy. Jesus communicates all these things to her, but this is how Jesus communicates them, not how we communicate. Did you know that the greatest battle right now in the church is not the unbeliever or the world against the church? It's the church against the church. It's a spiritual civil war of you don't believe exactly like I believe, so I'm going to attack you. And I'm going to get on Facebook on my platform, and I am going to preach this gospel until I'm blue in the face because you believe different than me. And we're destroying ourselves. We're destroying ourselves. It's just not helping anybody. There's a lot bigger battles that we can choose to fight. 
We want to fight each other. And this is what Jesus has this conversation, but he doesn't criticize her. He doesn't make her feel bad. Even though he's revealing her sin, the only reason that he's revealing sin is because he recognized that she's drawing from that place of pleasure something that's unfulfilling to her. And so in his love for her, he says, let's adjust you. Let's just adjust it a little bit. Let's move wells from those men that are using you to me. To a love that is faithful. To a love that is unconditional. Anything you need, I have for you. This is what Jesus was telling this woman by saying that I am the spring of living water. He was saying, I've got it all. Now, now this is what happens, which I think is crazy. She came to the well with with a jar to draw water. She has this conversation with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the spring of living water. I'm going to help you. Never thirst again. You know, all the stuff we talked about. Then in, in verse 28, we didn't read this far down. It says, so then leaving her water jar. Stop right there. She left her water. Didn't she come to get water? She didn't need that water anymore. She left it. That, that was the way she collected water for her household. But as soon as she had a conversation with Jesus, she laid down usual. She laid down the usual things she ran to. She laid down the normal things she ran to. She, she laid it down. And the Bible says she ran to tell others about what Jesus had done on her. You know what the mark of a true encounter with God is? The mark of a true encounter, you know you've had an encounter with God by what you're willing to leave afterwards. Our, our culture has taught church is about you. Christ is about you. Culture has taught us that everything to do with Christianity is about me getting more of me. Me blessing, me having a seat, me having a parking spot, me, my comfort, service times that I like, campuses where I like, worship songs that I like. Me, 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 me. You know what the real mark of an encounter is? When you encounter him, what you're willing to leave. You know, I was, I, was, I was praying the other day, and I was in my study at my house, and, and I was praying, and, and um, I was just doing exactly what we talked about at the beginning of the message, just found my place. I was being with God, and I'm praying. And as I'm praying, I was just like worshiping. And before I knew what I was saying, I started to say like, like crazy stuff. Like just, just, just like said it. I'm like, whoa, Dustin, ease, ease up here. We're like, what are you praying for? Because in that moment, I just sensed the presence of God so strong. Like I, like I, and for some of you, I know this is different, but I, I could sense God. And for me, like when I sense the presence of God, I'll just like get emotional. And I just like... I was just like beginning to cry in my, my study and I'm sitting there and just, God, you're so good. And these are the things that started coming out of my mouth. I give you everything. There's nothing I hold back from you. You're all that I want. My answer is yes. Whatever you want, God, the answer is yes. I'll lay it down. I'll lay this down. And I'm like, whoa, 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 Dustin, hold on. You're weak. You're fasting. Like, don't say crazy stuff. Like, like you, because in the moment of encounter, my immediate, my direct response was give. Do you know what I think we're missing from the Americanized church? It's true encounter. Oh yeah, like, like true encounter where people say, oh that's it, I don't care anymore. I'll give it all up. I'll give it all up. All I want. There's a theologian who said that, that, that Christians don't tell lies, they sing them. You ever notice some of the words of the songs we sing? You're enough, you're enough, you're enough. Like, is he? I mean, is he? 
We're singing it. We're saying it, but is he? All these things we say and these things coming out of my mouth. And I'm like, did I really mean it? But I want you to know this. What God is doing, I think, in the church across America, he's doing in our church, is he's stirring a hunger in our hearts for not just another program, not just another service, not just another checklist, but for him. And when we meet him, the answer is yes. When you encounter God, it's not what I can get, it's what I can give. When you encounter God, it's not what I can save, it's what I can sacrifice. When you encounter Him, it's not about us anymore, it's about Him. And that's what we need, that's what we need a revival of, is a church, a movement of people that say, God, this is for you. It's all about you. It's for your purpose. It's for your glory. It doesn't have to be politically correct. It doesn't have to be culturally popular. It just has to be you. Every desire, every desire that is in your heart, whether it be evil, selfish, or godly, its root need, God will fill. No matter if you fulfilled it other ways, you've went to other wells, you've went to other places, in all your life, maybe it's relationship, you've never been single. You're in high school, you never, you, I mean, you're just like from girl to girl to girl to girl, college girl to girl, wife to wife to wife. You've never been single. You never had singleness of heart. It could be that. That, that thing's a well for you. Do you know that you'll never be satisfied in your marriage until you're satisfied in God? And you could be blaming your spouse for you just not relying on him. You could be mad at the way your marriage is going because you think she should do this better. And it could be, it could be. Okay, I'm just hypothetical. <laughs> it could be that God's trying to do something in you. Because I'm going to tell you, your husband or your wife is not going to fix your broken heart. He can. He can. Everything else is a replica. Everything else, is, it looks good for a while. But your L and V are crooked. It's not real. It looks good, I know. Oh, that relationship feels good for a little while. It looks, oh man, look at it. But, but the, the hands are off. It doesn't keep time anymore. No, marriages that last, families that last, legacy that last, do not find their fulfillment from each other. They drink from the well that is Him. The well and the spring of living water. I am a good husband to Jamie when I'm fulfilled in Him. She's a good wife to me when she's fulfilled in Him. I'm not her answer, and she's not mine. He is the answer, and when He's the answer, I can love her well, and she can love me well. But it's only when we get this figured out that it works this way. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.